You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. We've got a great episode in store for you. Uh, One of my favorite guests, one of my favorite guys that I've had the opportunity to meet over the last couple of years, Brian Dombrowski. Now, I've had Brian on the Wisconsin Sportsman and on the How to Hunt Deer podcast. So if you listen to today and you're like, hey, I want to hear a little bit more from this guy. There's a couple of other episodes out there that you should check out. But in this episode, we get into a couple of things that I think Brian does exceptionally well. Uh, One of those things is is summer scouting. If you follow this guy on Instagram, there's no doubt uh, that he puts in the work when it comes to doing summer scouting. And uh, the other thing that he does really well is trail camera placement. Now, that's something that's really interesting because that's something that he has Uh, tweaked a little bit of how he does it over the last couple of years and I think he's really honed in on a system that works for him and something that I think we can all learn a lot from. I know I am going to be uh, employing some of his strategies here in the coming weeks when I start to get my cameras out. I am way way behind but you know I'll be honest with you this summer I have needed a little bit of a break from uh, from deer hunting and I just spent so much time Uh, focused on turkeys and doing family stuff. I just needed a little bit of time off, but I'm getting ready. I'm getting geared up and I'm going to get my cameras out and I'm going to use what I learned from today's episode to get them in the right spots. Now, Brian hunts in Wisconsin, but I think some of the things that you're going to learn from today's episode are going to be helpful for you pretty much anywhere you are, especially if you're around any kind of a marsh setting. As we jump in, I do just want to say this episode is brought to you, first of all, by Tacticam, the title sponsor of the show, 
Uh, one of their really cool products that I like for this time of year is their Spotter LR. The Spotter LR is a full 4K camera that will attach to pretty much any spotting scope that you have. If you're like me, you love to spend summer evenings behind some glass. It's just a cool opportunity to get the kids out sometimes uh, or to just go spend a quiet evening in the truck or on a field edge by yourself and uh, just watching bucks do what they do at this time of year. And the Spotter LR is going to allow you to, uh, you know, film those bucks and take that home and show either your family or your friends or whatever, show them what you were able to see. It's also a super helpful tool for long range shooting, uh, especially with a rifle so that you can watch that target. Uh, it's even helpful if you're shooting your bow, you know, this time of year, you like to shoot out to 50, 60, 70 yards, a hundred yards. Maybe if you're, uh, one of those uh, one of those guys, which I'm not personally, but I do like to shoot out to 50 yards or so. And this allows you to video your group, video your practice, and see you know what the sequence was of uh, how your arrows were hitting. And obviously, last but not least, if you're a Western guy, like this is for you. If you want to be able to really share your hunt uh, with your friends, with your loved ones, with your buddies, then the Spotter LR is for you. Right now, that thing is $150. That's like half off. So head over to their website, Tacticam.com, grab you a spotter LR, grab whatever else you need for yourself filming this fall and start sharing your hunt with Tacticam. Also, this episode is brought to you by Huntworth. I was just on the phone with somebody from Huntworth today. It looks like we're going to be having a rep on pretty soon to talk about some of the Huntworth products. I've been wearing Huntworth for over a year at this point, and it has yet to disappoint. This time of year, I'm getting ready to get out a bunch of trail cameras, and that means two things. Number one, it means I'm going to be wearing my Durham lightweight pants when I head out into the woods for my scouting and for putting up trail cameras. Number two, it means I'm going to be using the Lodi pack. That is the smaller of their two packs. I find it that is the smaller of the two packs. It does have a section for a water bladder, which I love to bring. And then basically, I'm going to have my rangefinder. I'm going to have my binos in it probably because I don't like to wear them on my chest during the summer. And I'm going to have two, three, four, maybe trail cameras in that pack while I'm doing my scouting. And I'm going to have my one stick strapped to the outside. Boom, my scouting and trail camera setup pack is complete. This pack has proven to be durable and it's just the right size for what I need this time of year when I'm not necessarily bringing in a ton of camera gear or a ton of extra clothes. You can find that on their website, Huntworth Gear. Com. And last but certainly not least, this episode is brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. The Onyx Hunt app goes with me wherever I am. It is the most important tool for me and for the way that I hunt, uh, whether that comes down to, you know, number one, hunting in multiple states. It's awesome to be able to have, you know, private and public land boundaries on properties that I'm, you know, a lot of times not exactly 100% familiar with the property before I get there. It's also awesome because I hunt a mixture of public and private land. Some of that is family-owned land, some of that is permission land, and some of that is just general public land that's out there. And it's really nice to be able to keep track of not only all of my observations while I'm in the field, but just to have confidence that, you know, number one, I'm not going to accidentally stumble onto someone else's property. And number two, I'm not going to get, you know, turned around on one of these rather unfamiliar properties. One of the things that I'm making sure to do this time of year, you know, I mentioned I'm about to get some cameras out. What I'm going to do with those cameras is I'm going to mark each location on the Onyx Hunt app, it's going to get a red pin and it's going to be the camera icon. If I pull that camera and I did not like the location, I'm gonna turn that to black. If I pull that camera and I did like the location, but I just maybe want to move the camera somewhere else for a little bit of time, I'm gonna turn that white because I know that's a spot that I want to return to. It's gonna be the camera icon each and every time. 
I'm also going to turn around and take a picture of that camera because believe it or not, I've had pins in, uh, you know, creek bottoms and stuff where everything kind of looks the same and you get in the general area where that camera is supposed to be and all the foliage and the trees kind of all look the same along the edge. And it's like, okay, which one of these has my camera? And for probably a good 15, 20 minutes, I assumed somebody had stolen my camera because I just could not find it. After that point, though, I started taking pictures of where I hung the camera at so that I can find it. Uh, but you know what? That's what I get for trying to hide my camera super well on public land. But anyway, the Onyx Hunt app is going to allow you to mark your camera locations, to take a picture of the camera's location, and attach that directly to the pin right there in the app. You can learn more on their website, onyxmaps.com, or you can find them on the app store of your choice by simply searching the Onyx Hunt app. Big, big thanks to those partners. You know, this time of year is when I really... Uh, I'm getting geared up for for whitetails and you know not that they're not on my mind all the time but there's just something about this late summer midsummer to late summer time period when all of the anticipation is really starting to hit and I'm really really looking forward to the season so it just makes me especially grateful this time of year that I have such a great group of partners that I get to work with that allow me to do what I do that have allowed me to turn my passion into my career so huge thanks to those guys if you would please do me a gigantic favor Go support the partners that support this show. That's the number one way that you can support us right now here at the How to Hunt Deer podcast or the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast is go show some of our partners some love. And if they ask, tell them I sent you their way. And finally, if you are digging this show and uh, maybe you're newer around here, be sure to like and subscribe or follow or whatever it is that the podcast platform where you found us allows you to do. It would mean a lot to me if you'd share these episodes on social media. Tag me in that. Let me know that you're finding these episodes helpful or useful. If you ever have any questions or thoughts or anything like that you want to shoot my way, you can find me on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer or at The Wisconsin Sportsman. That's where you can send me, you know, ideas that you want covered or guests you'd like to have on or, you know, just let me know the kind of content that you would like to see. So with all that stuff out of the way, let's jump right into this conversation that I had with Brian Dombrowski. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the podcast, I've got Mr. Brian Dombrowski back on. Brian, how's it going? Going good. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, man. I'm. I'm. Uh, I got to be honest with you. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. You said, "Yeah, let's do it." This is the the third time we've gotten a podcast together now. Yeah, it's 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 nice to catch up. Nice you, to catch up, and you know, I never never will shy away from talking about deer. So, well, you're going to learn your lesson eventually. Talking to me, uh, it can. <laughs> It can only hurt your reputation in the outdoor space, but uh, anyway, man, what what have you been up to lately? So I, you jumped out to me because I was like, this guy's been out there. He's been hanging cameras. He's been scouting. He's been getting after it. He's getting pictures of good bucks already, and they're not good bucks in a bean field or an alfalfa field or something like that. You know, you're you're in the woods getting pictures of good bucks already. So, man, tell me tell me what's going on in your world. Well, we. I uh, got my cameras out a little earlier this year. Um, I'm going to be pretty busy in the next couple weeks. But I do have, as far as the good pictures I'm getting with these bucks, it's, uh, I'm running 10 cameras right now, which doesn't seem like a lot. Um, but each camera is positioned in a spot that I've determined holds a good buck or held a good buck last year. And that's based off of scouting, preseason scouting, and uh, just you know, after season and stuff like that. Um, but the reason I'm getting these uh, good pictures, it's I'm putting them in staging areas really tight, really tight to bedding. So the, the particular buck I'm 
thinking that is in there, and he's going to be located within probably 100 yards of that camera. And I'm usually setting them up. Actually, all of them right now are set up over a mock scrape in a staging area just outside that buck's bedding. Um, and it, it's the couple that I've checked so far are paying off. Um, number one buck that I was going after for the past three years, he was the first buck on that one camera. Um, so that, that really defines my season, um, gives it clarity or some people, you know, but it, it, it kind of clears up my season a lot. You know, I, you can be hyper-focused on that deer, but still get everything else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how your past season went. I mean, as happy as you are to be getting that deer on camera right now, you'd be a lot happier for him not to be on your camera right now and to be on your wall instead. Uh, yep. already so tell me how your your season went i mean you still tagged a couple bucks right yeah uh we shot five deer last year um three bucks i went out to north dakota and i tagged out i got a nice uh nice velvet out there um nice 10 and it was pretty neat my uh two cousins were out there and they were hunting a different area but they actually helped me with the recovery and uh skinning them out and stuff you know we took them back to a tree and did that so that was really nice to be able to share that experience with them um after that i came home and i had a few days to really get prepped for the wisconsin season because we usually start a week later and so i was able to get a lot of intel um the my number one buck i was going after which i did get pictures of this year i bumped him opening night of the wisconsin season um i i pushed in just a little bit too close to what i want you know um, I, I worked my way around this grassy area and he was actually, I was getting up my tree and he was bedded probably about 20 yards behind me. I'd worked around that clump of brush and real quietly. And I got about eight feet up the tree. And of course my wind is blowing, you know, my back trail right into that clump of brush. And he got up and took off. Um, I did have, uh, two other encounters with that buck though in, you know, in that same marsh. And my second encounter, which I was hunting a mock scrape that I had put, and I was getting a lot of good intel of all the deer coming into that one. Um, I it just the season had just closed, and I was getting down from my uh, my sticks. I was on my first stick off my platform, and I see a deer coming from the bedding right to that mock scrape. And I, I believed it was him at the time, but it was kind of, it was dark, but I could just make out his figure. Then I could hear his antlers thrashing against the tree. Mm. I had a camera on that tree, but I didn't go in there that night. Of course, I just got in the creek and I walked my way out, you know, just because he was going out to the feed one direction. I'm heading back the other direction down the creek. And, uh, so I made my exit there, checked the camera a couple weeks later and yeah, it was him. He was, you know, he was, 40, 40 yards away from me, but it was just after light. Um, then I did have another encounter with that buck too. Um, October 16th or 18th, the last couple of years, he shifts to a different part of that uh, marsh, um, probably less than a half mile away. And I caught him coming back in the morning and he just worked downwind of me and through that marsh and stood and looked in my direction for about three, four minutes and then just turned around and walked straight away. Man. <laughs> so he knew he was, he knew that you know uh, the gig was up and he had he known he's hunting i mean there's so many people in this marshall there's people you know there's, there's gun hunting pressure there's people walking around all the time bird hunting um 
and then come after the season, I did. I got another. I was running a camera back, and then I started getting pictures of him mid December before I pulled my camera. So I knew he had made it to that part. So, so I was tickled pink to see him. You know, first on the first on the list this year. Um, but other than that, I've been um, off season consists of me just speed scouting a ton of areas and i'm not necessarily looking for deer i'm just i'm in there looking for big buck sign wherever it may be and i'm just covering ground covering ground covering ground and throw you know multiple counties here and you know laying my pins down on my mapping app and then once i get back i kind of you know look it over and stuff and see how it all fits into play Um, but i came up I, usually, I can come up with enough areas to hunt to put a whole season together than the following year. You know, it just, I have more areas I can hunt in Wisconsin here than it, you know, is possible. Sure. It's just, there's just so much to, you know, to go after. Um, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to target these rubs that are four and a half feet off the ground, you know, and, you know, trying to find those. And then I break those down into marshes, get a game plan together. And I might make one more trip in there to prep trees and do what I need to do, you know, as far as trying to see what I, you know, get everything prepped and put a plan in place. And then you, then come summer, this time of season, um, I'm going to execute that plan. So it's just, you know, I got to lay down on a piece of paper what I want to do, where each camera is going to go. And I just go in there and execute it. And I just keep checking the boxes off and, brings us up to this point, you know, in the season. So, yeah, for sure. So I'm curious about that buck last year. You know, I, I always wonder whether somebody is successful on a deer or not successful on a deer. Like what did that buck in particular teach you last year? What, what did you learn from, from trying to hunt him? I learned he does not like to go by many trees. That's the, ah. he, he does not like to go by many trees. Um, He's in this marsh. He's in this lot of, you know, just a lot of thick stuff. And he, he's a homebody. Um, with all the pressure I put on him and other people put on him, he's just a homebody. He doesn't, it's it's kind of neat to see how close you can get to these deer. Because I've been after him for four years. He had a beautiful rack four years ago, so I'm thinking he's, you know, six, seven years old this year. Um, and it's it's neat to see that you can get so close to these deer so many times as, and it's not just this year. I had so many different encounters last year with other bucks that I was after. And I didn't know it at the time, but you're so close to tagging out and you don't realize it until, you know, you check your camera or something, man, you're there in the morning. He was there at night. You're the, you know, it's, you're just so close that you just never, I never realized that before, you know, how close you are to getting a deer. Yeah. With, with where you're putting these cameras at, how, how did you see his daylight movement change throughout the year? Was he, was he pretty consistent in daylight? It was just tough to get in there on him or did he, did he kind of change some things up as far as, you know, moving more at night? He moved. So I, I, I kept track of every time. So I have the camera on a, um, a mock scrape I had put up and it's in the staging area and there's a lot of private around that area and they have the food plots. So I knew the direction he wanted to move all the time, you know, the, but what was, I kept track of every time he went past that camera, which direction he was headed morning, night, 
And I came up with a percentage that I thought, you know, let's say I'm thinking he's moving more frequently at night versus morning. Um, I thought it would be a hard time to go in there early in the morning on that spot because he was, he was in front of that scrape all different times of the night during the day. You know, he was right there. And I would, I even have a three or four hour photo sequence where he bedded there, you know, at two morning. So there's, I, I wouldn't be able to get in there early enough, you know, to beat him back in that area. Um, so I hunted that one at night mainly that deer, which I do like morning hunts, but I just I just thought it was too risky on that buck. Um, but yeah, and then but there's other other deer I was after. I was I would do the same thing, you know. You you get pictures of your probability at night versus day, and I'd go in there and take a shot at them. But it was it was close. There were so many times I was close that you know I did get a. Ended up getting a smaller 11-pointer um, towards the end of the bull season there right before gun and uh, tagged out on one and, you know, another one in muzzleloader. So had a good season otherwise. But Yeah, very nice, very nice. So in your in your scouting this this fall and winter, I mean, I know, you know, basically as soon as as soon as you can, you're, you're scouting again for the following season. Um, yep. Did you find and, and I know you're you're also pretty picky when it comes to the specific deer that you're chasing. Um, did you find any new areas or new bucks that you're pretty excited about for this year? Yes. Um, let's see. I'm trying what to are, figure what out are those, what are those GPS coordinates? Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, if I take out, I'll send you some. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> well, there's a, I found, so I found a 66 inch shed in one spot. Um, but it was a two year old shed, never touched. I don't know if that buck's still alive. The sign I saw in that area was from two years ago. I, I started seeing some really good buck sign, but it was two years old, and I found his shed in there. I don't know if he's alive, so I'm, I, I dropped a scrape and a camera right where uh, I'm thinking he's, he bedded at that time. So that's going to be a wild card. Um, there's another spot that I found, and, and I'm really excited about that one. I don't know how big that buck is. I just know he's fully mature based off the sign I'm seeing. Um, when you start seeing like four and a half, five foot rubs on six diameter trees, you know, and in that marsh, that's usually a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's a pretty nice deer. Sure. But I have a camera back in there in between two of his core bedding areas where I found. Um, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm waiting for that one to show up. Yeah. Yeah. But it's exciting. There's there's a few spots that I think are going to hold one heck of a deer this year. Nice. When you're when you're out there doing your your you know I mean obviously we're way past it right now. But you know what I would consider off season scouting or that winter and spring scouting uh, is that when you say the bulk of your work is done as far as scouting goes? Or I mean I know you're putting in the work in the summertime as well. But yeah, most so if if yeah most of my uh, work is in the springtime. I like to be done with my primary scouting by, let's say, uh, April, May, um, end of May, let's say. I like to have my game plan in place, where specifics on every single camera I'm in a position. You know, I, everything should be in place by the end of May. Okay. And then 
then I can start executing my plan. I mean, no, I just, I, I, I've, I've, I used to be kind of haphazard and I would place a lot of cameras, you know, on trails coming out of bedding. I'd move them every two weeks. I was kind of, you know, I, I didn't have a good plan in place and that, you know, my results showed that. And now it's, it's, it's just kind of calming that you, if you have a plan, you write it on paper, you know what you're going to do. Um, you can put together enough deer to chase in a fall to come up with a whole season to hunt. And, but most of my, that's the bulk of it. You know, right now, um, I got all my cameras that I want in. I got my mock scrapes prepped. Um, I'm going to go back there probably third week in July. I'm going to freshen them up if need be, check the cameras, and then I'm going to let them marinate for a few weeks. And then come probably the third week in August, I'll head back in there and make decisions on what I want to do for the rest of the season based off of what I'm seeing. Because um, I leave for North Dakota then the first week in um, September, and then I'm going to be back for Wisconsin right away. So come to end of August, I'm going to have a pretty darn good game plan of what I want to do or what deer I want to go after. And uh, um, but yeah, most most of this most of the scouting is done in the that I do is in the spring, um, springtime, wintertime. I, I just I just like walking in the woods basically. I, I you know I I take a lazy walk all the time. There's just tens of thousands of acres everywhere in public, so I can pick a different piece, go on the snowshoes if the snow is deep, you know, and just go for a walk, check things out, and I've always been that way. And that's that's my favorite thing to do, you know. That I like doing that more than the hunt itself. I like just going on walks in the woods and finding these new spots and figuring these deer out, putting a game plan together and you know harvesting one of them is you know just kind of like the icing on a cake you know i mean it's just proof you're doing doing something correct you know yeah for this area you know area hunt so yeah for sure so when it when it comes to you know hitting summertime i mean obviously you know this this isn't an episode on winter and spring scouting but i mean what you're finding there you're you're finding where where's the rut sign from the previous year i mean that to me is the big one uh, where's the betting sign? You know, where where do I think this buck was going to be holed up? When it comes to the summer and you've got all this data in your mind, what are some of the changes or so, how are you, you know, making sure that what you thought based on your, you know, winter and spring scouting is correct for your plan moving forward? Because I imagine if you just head into the summer and start executing on that plan, but it needed to be tweaked a little bit, you're not going to be super, uh, super effective with your camera placement. Um, if it needs to be, if, if the buck I'm after is in that area that I've scouted, I'm going to get a visual on him. I, I firmly believe he will be on camera. Okay. Um, and if there's an area that I don't need to place a camera, but I can scout the road, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to intrude, but I can go drive around there three times a week, check the bean fields. You know, the, the peas are coming off. They're going to be planting a second crop of beans, green beans. And every buck in the area is going to be in that green bean field. It's just, you know, I can take three trips around there um, every week, and I'm going to see the deer that are in there. If I, if let's say there's a change, um, storm comes through, that kind of thing, you know, you can adjust your stand sites and that. But if if that buck is in that area, I'm, I firmly believe I'm going to have a picture of him on that camera. Yeah. Just I'm putting that camera 
you know, within a hundred yards of where I, I think that buck is bedded based off of his sign that he left and that, you know, he's, they stage up pretty darn close to where they're betting before they head out at night. And if, if he's in there, he's going to leave sign. So, so I, I, I really firmly believe I'll get a picture of that buck. Yeah. So what are you, what are you doing? I mean, there's a, so you're, you're hunting Wisconsin marsh country, right? And when people hear Wisconsin marsh country uh, with a little bit of mixed ag around, most likely they're thinking the hunting beast, right? I mean, that's just, it's been all over the place talking about marsh bedding and everything else. And a lot of that stuff's really, really good. I found hunting similar terrain, but not quite like cattail swamps or cattail marshes that the deer where I hunt, it's just, there's a little bit of tweaking to it. It's not, it's not the same hunting the kind of marshes that I hunt that I would call a marsh and what, yep. what Dan Infault or somebody else is hunting in, you know, cattails. So what are some of the tweaks or maybe different ways that deer are bedding in and using some of the marshes where you hunt as opposed to what may be some of the common knowledge or the kind of uh, commonly accepted facts? I put those facts in quotations because um, I don't think it's always as simple as, well, if you've got a marsh, this is what the deer do every single time. I think it's more situational than that. I think it provides a good starting point for us. But yep. from there, we need to dial it in. So what are you seeing, um, you know, where you are specifically that may be a little bit different than kind of the commonly accepted truth about what deer do in marshes? So I, I don't have a – there's not a lot of cattail marshes around here. Um, it's a lot of red brush. It's a lot of grass. It's a lot of um, – just it's, it's just a lot of – there's so much edge, it's crazy. Yep. Um, so it's – to look at a map and pinpoint something that you can, you know, without getting in there, it's really hard mm-hmm. because it, everything's an edge out there. It's, it's just crazy. It's not like a cattail marsh with an edge and a point coming out and you can go hit that point, check it out. You know, it's, it's not that, um, there's just red brush for miles. There's, you know, then you'll have a little piece of hardwoods. You might have this. And I mean, it's just, it's nuts. So my, what I've learned is these marshes are kind of like they're, it's, it's like a little thrown world almost. And let's, let's say you have uh, you know, five, 6,000 acre marsh you're hunting and you can, there, you know, different parts of that marsh, there's different groups of deer. And if I find all those groups of deer and where the uh, staging area, you know, for where they're bedding based off my pre-scouting, I can probably cover a lot of that marsh, you know, a few thousand acre marsh just with a few cameras. I can place them in well-known, you know, bedding areas. And these bedding complexes are, um, they're not necessarily like one bed. I mean, they're, they're bedding complexes. They could be, you know, 15, 20 acres in size or bigger. Um, but, it's they're really thick they're just all sorts of features in them um and it'd be really hard to figure them out just by you know map scouting or you know you got you got to get in there you just got gotta figure out where these pockets are out there you know the groups of families and it's it's really neat um i was a couple years ago i was hunting a buck in one part of the marsh and i ended up you know, he was, he was with a group of deer over here, and I actually, I took him where, you know, in another group. He had, you know, relocated to the second group. So knowing where the deer are, 
you can jump around and hunt those, you know, you don't have to, you know, it's not like a big canvas. You can, you know, just if you knew the, you know, the layout of how they just use that marsh, I guess. Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. What you just described there, it sounds a lot like some of the, what I call marshes where I hunt. Um, and, you know, it, it, there's, first of all, there's not as much water yeah. where I typically am. And so bedding opportunities are a lot, a lot more. Everywhere. Uh, and what you just described, like there's food everywhere inside of those marshes you know yeah. it, they're not as dependent on hey I, they got to get up out of the cattails and come up onto the high ground to get some food because literally all that red brush that's food <laughs> you know they're gonna they're gonna munch on all of that so they've got food right there in the in the bedding cover and have pretty much uh pretty much everything that they need and yeah like you said i i'm seeing bedding complexes where yeah Correct. there are some big beds out there but I don't know if he's here today or in that little patch, you know, 250 yards away because he just beds all over in this area generally. And I may right. see him come back to his bed for the day, but he's not going to necessarily use the, the one, you know, root ball at the bottom of the hardwood that's growing next to the edge of the cattail swamp. Correct. And that's, that's where you're going to have to figure out um, his destination food source for that night. You know, you're gonna. You, you just. You need a direct. You just want to know his direction. Yeah. Brought up next. You know, because if you got maybe soybeans on some food, you know, maybe on a farmer's field a half mile away, they might eventually work their way out to that. Or corn this way, or maybe the oaks are dropping, so they're actually gonna go further into the marsh to hit the oaks first before they swing around. Because, you know, they're not on a time crunch. They can just. They're just out there meandering all night long. So it's. Um, yeah, it's it's fun, you know, playing that chess game with these deer, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a good time. Yeah, it's just just it's really a really got to understand the family groups, I guess, out there. And once you understand that, you can hunt marshes more effectively, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, just knowing the groups and the areas, they you can eliminate a lot of dead water out there. So yeah, I I want to hear more about your. Um, you mentioned, you know, finding these staging areas and you realized you can cover, you know, a couple thousand acre marsh with just a handful of cameras whenever you've been able to identify these areas. I have, I have personally struggled with that. Now I can find a staging area that's 50 yards off of a bean field. Like I get, I get that, you know, I, I understand that I can also find the bedding and where I get myself in trouble is 
I, I'm not often very good at finding and figuring out the staging in between, and I'll just blast up in there and get busted when I would have been a lot better off, you know, finding, hey, this is where they're all going to sort of converge. And I don't know if it's a reading sign issue. I don't know if it's a patience issue, which it very well could be for me. You know, I'm just like, nah, let's get super aggressive and get in there. But yeah. uh, how are you finding these staging areas and what are, what are some of the markers that I need to be looking for? Um, so you're going to, it all starts with finding the bedding and that staging area, that bedding is going to be a very thick complex. And that staging area is usually just before they leave that thick complex where they can stop. They're going to, you're going to find a lot of fresh deer poop because that's, you know, they, they get up, they walk a little bit and then you'll see them poop, you know, usually, um, it's going to be right on the edge where they can kind of look and see, just kind of, you know, mill around, but they can see everything going on in the direction. Um, that's what I've seen for the staging areas that I've found. You're going to find, um, you're probably going to find a lot of rubs in that area, you know, and it's going to be thicker stuff, but there's going to be rubs in there. You're going to be able to see, um, but you're going to find a lot of sign, a lot of, you know, if you look on a map, you're going to see a lot of, you might find a lot of uh, um, runways kind of heading into a certain area. And then once you follow that in there, all the runways dissipate, you know, but you can you can see where all the deer were kind of milling around. You know, you're looking for the different, uh, they're going to be feeding on maybe, you know, fiddleheads or uh, if they're small maples, uh, that's, that's eating those fresh maple leaves. Or even maybe the raspberry bushes, or if they got some sort of bush out there, they're going to be munching on them. Those are the three that I found uh, really like in some of these marshes around here. Um, but it, it's they're going to be pretty darn tight to that bedding complex, and there might be a couple different staging areas depending on the time of year. You know, if they're heading in this direction to eat versus this direction, you know. So you got to just kind of keep your eye, you know, keep your eye on what's going on in that marsh at any given time. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you made there a second ago, too, about uh, deer aren't on a time crunch. You know, when we when when we think about deer movement, we think in a bed to feed pattern and it's almost like in our minds, like they get up and they walk in a straight line towards that bean field or, you know, whatever it is. And they may walk, you know, if there's a, a an ag field to the east that they want to end up in, they want they may get up and walk 400 yards west to an oak island. And yep. nibble on acorns for three hours. Once it hits about eight, nine o'clock, they may get up and make yeah. a big circle out to the ag field. Whereas uh, that just does not fit our uh, conception of a typical, you know, bed to feed pattern as as very linear. You know, yeah, kind of like uh, you, like you turkey hunting. The yeah. turkeys they make they make uh, they make their rounds and they they'll wind up back there, but. That's why I get a lot of pictures, you know, you get a lot of pictures either, you know, going past the camera toward the feed and that's, and you, you won't get that buck coming past her. But I know the direction, I know whereabouts he went back into his bedding area um, or complex. So it's, yeah, it's, they're just, you know, it's like a whole little ecosystem out there. They don't have to come out if they don't want. And there's no time crunch, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to, fun to hunt that area you know it's fun to hunt those areas oh yeah oh yeah so are i can't remember are you a turkey hunter no um okay i shot a turkey a long time ago and i think it had a one inch beard okay and 
I would be Jake shamed for that, but <laughs> no, man, go for it. I, we are we are not anti shooting Jakes here. <laughs> That's good because yeah, I, I went out a couple times. I like I, I have a seven year old boy, and I'm I'll go out in the spring once in a while just to get him out there. You know, sure. I'm I'm not too big a turkey hunter myself. Man, I I am, and I wasn't until I moved to Wisconsin, and then I've just gotten more and more into it over the years as it's gone gone on and I'm finding like it takes a while for me to get my head back into a whitetail frame of mind you know yep. this time of year now because I'm just mourning the loss you know just like you do and you know once deer season's over you kind of have that sadness well now that turkey season's over I've got to I got to grieve losing turkey season first before I can you know really get excited about whitetails but um I almost get excited when deer hunting is over then I can start scouting again yeah man <laughs> I totally get that. I totally get that. And that's, so in this area where I'm at in Georgia right now, um, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to, um, getting some boots on the ground this winter. I didn't get a chance to do that a lot this past winter. Um, a lot of that was because I spent so much time in Wisconsin in November and then I knew I was going to be traveling for Turkey season. So I was kind of trying to play things a little bit cool here at home because I had been traveling. And then I also traveled for, um, for the ATA show, you know, for the yep. Archery Trade Association. So there were several things that I was that I was doing that I was like, I better not push my luck and try to get out there to do a lot of scouting because this place is like an hour from me, 45 minutes. I mean, it's a drive, you know. Uh, it's not like, hey, let me go for a quick drive around the, the neighborhood and see what's out in the, in the fields or something. I mean, it's a long drive. Yep. Um, and so I didn't push my luck. But what I'm finding is I'm excited about hunting Wisconsin in November. And I'm real excited about getting boots on the ground and scouting this place. I'm going to hunt it a little bit this year, but yeah. I'm real excited because one of the things that they have is uh, on these WMAs, they have very small gun seasons. So there's a four-day gun season in November that's kind of like the peak of the rut hunt. Yep. Uh, and then outside of that, it's bow only. Well, when it's bow only, there aren't a lot of guys out there hunting because we have really long rifle seasons here in, in Georgia. So that means I've got all this time while the deer are still in peak rut, you know, making all this sign, I can just be out there walking around with, yep. you know, no obligation, no feeling like I have to climb a tree or anything like that. I can just be out there having a good time. So pretty pumped, pretty excited yep. to get, to get back to that scouting. That's yeah. I love that. And, um, with the marshes, I, or, you know, the marshes I hunt, I've been, a lot of the smaller parcels around here are getting just pounded. Mm-hmm. And then you've Wisconsin before, and I'm in central Wisconsin, and we have a lot of, you know, 80 acres, 120s. You know, we got a lot of those are just getting pounded. And it's very, it, those used to be pretty decent back, you know, you know, a lot, you know, years ago. Um, but I've been looking more to these larger properties that are harder to figure out. Yeah. Getting in there and learning them real well because put a little you know if you can put a little equity into find you know figuring out a particular marsh like by you you got some pretty big parcels um you have a lifetime hunting in there oh know? absolutely you, you take some of those parcels you're going to be hunting and you're, you're never going to run on spots down the rest of your life you know it's no. just, and once you learn them and learn where the do you know the deer groups are you know it's only going to start steamrolling as far as the deer you're going to be finding and stuff so so yeah if i took a 500 acre chunk of this area yep a year right and just focused on this 500 
I could not pos- I don't have enough years left to Correct. hunt to hunt you know to hunt that out. So I mean, yeah. literally, I could I've got a lifetime worth of hunting, you know, right down the road. I, I just need to figure this place out. Um, yep. But again, I I save all of my uh, all of my vigor for Wisconsin because it just it just feels like that's where it's going to pay off. And so yeah. <laughs> that's where my, that's where my time off is going. And that's our, where all my brownie points are getting spent and um, all that good stuff. But man, I want to, I want to step back to the staging area thing, because one of the places yeah. where you're putting these cameras, where you're getting really good uh, Intel, even during the summer is on those um, in those staging areas on mock scrapes. Correct. I feel like there are a couple of camps. There are people, who hate mock scrapes because they never have any success over them and they don't, they don't want to use them or bother with them anymore. They have no faith in them. There are other folks who are just like, I only ever hang a camera around mock scrapes. I don't do anything else. And they've had tremendous success with it. And even within that crowd of the folks who have a lot of success with it, there are guys who take it super, super seriously about how they make the scrape. And then there are other guys that are just like, yeah, kick the ground a little and I pee in it and I walk off. You know, and so I'm curious how you're making yours and, and sort of how you're having so much success with it. I, it's, it's nothing I figured out myself. Um, the, the master of mock scrapes is uh, Troy Pottinger, I believe. Oh, yeah. And I've only been doing mock scrapes for a couple of years now. Before that, it was more uh, targeting runways, you know, just really hitting, you know, moving cameras a lot. And I'm like, there has to be a better way to hunt these bigger areas where I can get the intel I need. And it's, it's just genius where I can place that mock scrape in that staging area and get all the intel I need. Um, but as far as making them, there's a few different things, you know, um, I try to make them the shape, you know, I, I don't know if you ever seen a deer make a mock scrape before or a scrape before he'll take his right leg. He scrapes it out, kind of makes it almost a triangle shape sometimes. You know, left paw, right paw. Um, you got to pay attention to the type of, you know, the type of trees they're using in that area. A lot of my areas, they're using, uh, you know, smaller oak trees. Because that's, that's, you know, that's the primary tree they use in a lot of these marshes are smaller oak trees. Yep. So pay attention to the type of tree they're using. Um, you got the shape of the scrape. Um, I think more than anything else, it's location that it has to be in the right location. Um, if, if you're off a hundred yards, you may not get, a, you know, you, you might get a sporadic picture or something. And if, if I see that on one of my cameras where last year I had a scrape, I thought it was in a good area. The deer told me it was an okay area. I, I abandoned that and I, I relocated it, you know, a couple hundred yards where I think it needs to be now kind of in a bedding, a horseshoe bedding complex. And it's kind of in the middle of that horseshoe where they, I can insert myself right in the middle of that horseshoe and the bedding complex is kind of around it. And I got an entry exit route there. It's right in the middle. Um, I believe that's the primary staging area in that area. And I'm excited to pull that. I'll probably be pulling that camera in a couple weeks here just to see what's on it and freshen it up. Nice. Placement, I think, just like buying a house, I think location, location, location on a mock scrape. Yeah. You can put them on field edges, um, you know, just to get inventory, buy the food and stuff like that. You know, a lot of guys do that. Um, 
but I've I've done that too, and I've seen you know it's almost all nighttime pictures on those. Yeah, that's I get pictures throughout the day, middle of the night, throughout the day, you know, middle of the day, all this right now. I'm really close to that buck. He's 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 within I you know hundred yards probably that scrape right now. Yeah, and that's that's what I think sets apart what I'm seeing from you, and what I'm seeing from guys like Troy Pottinger, who I had Troy on. Yeah, oh, gosh, yep. a couple weeks ago, maybe maybe a couple months ago at this point. I mean, it's been a it's been a minute, but but you're right. He is he is the master uh, of of mock scrapes, and so. Uh, but when I see somebody having success with them, I always want to pick their brain, and so just to see that you're having some some success with that. What was it? I'm curious with the the camera that told you, hey, this is an okay spot for a mock scrape, so you're going to move it. Were you just moving it more into into the bedding complex and what you thought was the true staging area? Or was there something specific that you're like, mm, I'm going to pull it from this spot because this thing is making it not work. Um, so I, I had one in a spot where there was really good buck bedding that year, the prior year. And I had it on right on side, this Oak Ridge where the, I felt these deer were coming up and running that back of the Ridge um, coming up in there. And the prior year, they were doing it, you know, based off the sign, they were doing it pretty darn good. So I threw a scrape up, mock scrape right there. So when they're exiting the thick bedding complex, they'd be right there. And I was getting pictures of the bucks in the area, but they were sporadic. And um, they, they, they weren't what I wanted. I knew I wasn't close enough to those deer. So then I reevaluated that spot. And I found a better, you know, it turned out that bedding complex kind of dried up actually that, you know, later that year after I went back in there and re-scouted it, it, it didn't have the sign I wanted. Something changed. I don't know what changed. It looked the same and I didn't even hunt. I didn't even really intrude out there, but something changed out there. So I found more sign about 300 let's say three, 400 yards, you know, off in another direction in another bedding complex right there. And that's where I dropped it this year. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, reevaluate them, I guess, from time to time if they're not producing, Yeah, not to move them. You gotta get them out of there if they're not producing. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's one of those things, man. Like, gosh, it comes up in so many different scenarios, being, being afraid to move a camera when yep. it's not panning out being afraid to intrude too many times when you're being afraid to, to be too intrusive when you're scouting this time of year, or even as we get closer to the season, like so much uh, fear of bumping that deer or something like that is, is it holds hunters back a lot of time when what's that? Yeah. It holds them back big time. A lot of guys. Yeah. And, and, and I, I see that myself. So that's why I say it holds people back. Cause I feel it. Like I feel it holding me back a lot of times and it's like you know what if you don't have the intel or if that camera's not working for you or if this spot isn't what you need it to be like who cares if you bump him go bump him like and watch him run off you know go like i'm growing more and more convinced that it's really hard to kick a big buck out of an area yeah oh gosh yeah if you bump him he he runs he won you know yeah. you're just i mean we're I'm walking amongst uh, wolves, bears, bobcats, coyotes. I mean, there's all these in these marshes out here, um, and so are the deer. And 
they're not getting bumped out by you know these intrusions by the wolves and the bears and um, they're just they live with them they you know they shift around and they move or whatever they might vacate area for a day or two and come back in or but yeah it's 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 hard to chase these deer out um, look at a fawn you know you walk up on a fawn what does it do it just puts his head down to the ground at, you know and sits still and that's you know now you got a five six year old deer you're going after in these marshes you know tall marsh grass he knows if he gets up and runs these wolves are going to be at him these guns are going to be shooting at him so what does he do he just puts his head down and lets you walk right by as yeah. long as he can as long as he can hear you walking he just lets you go but if you stop a lot of times he gets a little nervous yeah um, yeah and that's i've i've shared this story before but it's been interesting, you know, hunting marsh country like, like you do and like I do in southern Wisconsin. It, I've gotten to watch a buck uh, bedded down about 45 yards from me. He was a small, you know, two-year-old. Um, but he bedded down against a clump of brush, and then some pheasant hunters came in to hunt this big field that he was in or this marsh that he was in. As they zigzagged back and forth, he would get up, do a half <laughs> circle around that bush to get the bush back between him and the hunters, and lay back yep. down and then they would they would you know come back the other direction and he would get up and go go around to the other side of the bush and lay back down and so all he was doing was just making sure that clump of brush was between him and the hunters eventually they got too close and he didn't like it so you know what he did he got up and he went into the middle of this bush i don't know like where he went up inside of there but it was i mean it was a big you know maybe eight foot circle of of just trash he yeah. got up and went inside of it and he never busted out of there no, never I, left. Yeah, it's I've seen that happen too. Um, a couple years back, we were uh, I shot a buck in this marsh, and me and my mother-in-law were back there, and um, the deer that I, we found it, you know, it, it had it had dove in some brush and been walking around this hundred-yard area for you know scouring for a couple of, you know about an hour or two, and there was a really nice buck bedded right there the entire time, 30 feet away from us. <laughs> and mother-in-law, she, she, you know, she actually breaking branches to get in this thick stuff. And that thing got up within feet of her and took off. And Oh my <laughs> goodness. But we, you know, we, my buck would, my buck that I got was dead. We just, you know, it was just really hard to locate in this area. And, but that deer was there the whole time within yards of us listening to us talk walk back and forth and it never moved so, man man it's amazing yeah they just start to go out of those areas sometimes yeah i think i think guys would do do themselves a favor if they would um i, I honestly i think it's harder to to bump a buck uh out of an area on pressured public ground than it is to bump them out of an area on unpressured private ground yeah, it, it yeah, seems I, I, like those unpressured deer have a much bigger negative response when they do yep. when they do get bumped, you know. Um, and I think it's because they have options, <clears throat> right? They they think, well, I can go over here and maybe I won't get bumped there. Well, that buck on public, he knows this is about it. <laughs> you know, this this <laughs> this is about my only spot where I'm not going to be bothered uh, yeah. by people or or animal other animals or whatnot. Um, yeah. So you're. You've got a good chunk of your summertime chores done. You're kind of sitting things, letting things sit and simmer right now and kind of sitting back watching what's going to happen. Any plans for any more scouting or are you, are, are, are you just going to be gearing up for, uh, you know, your, your fall hunting trips? 
Um, so right now, doing a lot of, sh- you know, I've been shooting since the snow was on the ground. I'm getting all my gear prepped. Um, I'm really, I'm actually living out the uh, hunts in my head right now. Mm. How I'm going to do it, going into these spots. I'm just visualizing the hunts, the deer coming in. I'm, I'm just kind of focused on how each area I, I plan to attack, um, how that hunt's going to play out. I'm in a lot of visualization there. Um, I will be doing some scouting on areas, kind of wild card areas, I would call them. Okay. Just because I get down the woods. Um, but the areas that I have, you know, the cameras, the mock scrapes, they've been pre-scouted. And I just need confirmation that that buck is in there that I want to go after. And of all my, cam- you know, I'm running 10 cameras right now, which that's that's probably all I could handle right now in the areas I'm going because it's it's you know it, it takes a while to get back in there and do this stuff. Um, I know some guys run just a ton of cameras, you know, but um, based off those cameras, I'm probably going to have five or six really nice bucks for the you know this central Wisconsin. This is all sand country out here, you know. It's kind of the worst soil you can possibly have for nutrients and stuff. But I'm going to have five or six really dandy bucks to go after this year. And that's a whole season, you know, and then, you know, then you repeat it every year and just, you know, it's just kind of, you know, you plan, you execute and just every year you kind of do that. But, um, back to the scouting, I'll, I'll, I'll probably go back into these areas a little, just a touch heavier, probably end of August before I plan to hunt them. And I just want to double check that everything as, you know, is the way it should. You know, my tree still standing um, that I plan to hunt or, you know, the area hasn't changed. I don't want to go back there, you know, and wind damage or something like that, you know. But, yeah, as far as it's going to be a lot of driving around, checking fields, um, a lot of prep for stands, gear, just kind of all the details, just getting, you know, getting ready. Yeah. Yeah. So what about uh, North Dakota? Is that? still yeah. on the on the docket you bet i i i can't go here without going out there so um there's just something about chasing velvets and i just love it i love getting out there in that first week of september or end of august i shot a i shot one in august out there one year so which was awesome did and, you really uh, yeah so the one right behind me here this is uh i don't know if you that one there that was that was an opening morning Wow, uh, hunt. So that's that's a fun hunt for me because it's I don't I don't do any pre scouting out there. I don't do any cameras. I'm just going off of historical what I've what I've noticed in the past out there. Yeah. I you know the hunting pressure is it's up a little bit, but I don't mind hunting pressure. I don't I don't really care about that. Um, it's a fun hunt because it's just kind of a boots on the ground just read the sign and hunt and i've been going out there long enough where in these couple counties where i'm just going to walk into a spot and i'm going to check one spot in this whole area and if the sign is there i want to see i'm going to you know check it during the middle of the day and i'm going to hunt it that night or hunt in the morning and i'm just going to keep repeating that checking spots based off the sign hunting them hunting them you know um but if you find an early season scrape out there 
um, that's opened up or maybe some licking branches nipped off. It's just a subtle sign like that because a lot of times they're not they're going to be hardhorn yet. Um, that's If I find an early season scrape out there, that batcher group is close, you know. Mm. So I, I kind of key in on that out there too. Not mock scrapes, but real early season scrapes. But, uh, that's, a, that's a fun hunt. I like going out there and just kind of, you know, just winging it. Yeah, yeah. The... I, I threatened to to try to hit up North Dakota this year, um, at some point, but it doesn't look like doesn't look like it's going to work out for me this year. Um, you threaten your uh, the wife or just in general, just threatening. Just... <laughs> no, we uh, we're actually so um, I I'm still at the stage where I want to make sure that I've got two full weeks in Wisconsin. Okay. And yep. so if I, you know, last year I went up for a long weekend. I did like four days in Wisconsin in late September, early October. And then yep. I did the rut hunt. And that was just a little much on the, on the travel, you know, kind of close yep. together. Um, Cause I had, I had 15 days there last year. Okay. So this year I'm going to skip the September, October, you know, hunt in Wisconsin. And I'm just going to go up there for two weeks. Uh, first two weeks of November and kind of see how that plays out and what kind of success I can have. And if I go up and I'm able to, to take a good deer this year, um, I'll probably maybe next year whittle it down to one week and then so I can give myself a week somewhere else. Um, yeah. Because once I come back, you know, last year plans kind of fell through, but I'll also be hunting Georgia and Alabama. Um, okay. You know, and our hunting season in Alabama goes through February. So I've got okay. quite a bit of, and that's actually, so down where my, where my family property is, um, the rut there, the peak rut is like February 1st through 10th. That's our, yep. that's prime time. And so I've been trying to figure out with our move and everything, how do I, how do I allocate my time so that I, you know, uh, keep the peace and keep, you know, kids functional, you know, keep, keep them actually getting to school every day and all that. I mean, uh, I joke with my wife all the time now that she's the one with a real job and I just talk to people about deer hunting all day. Um, you know, what, a, what, what should I be doing during the day? But anyway, at least you got someone to talk to about deer hunting. My, uh, my wife just, she won't listen to me. So, <laughs> oh man, I walk, talking to myself half the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will say I, mine uh, has been very gracious. Now there, we get to points where it's like, all right, let's talk about that. You're gotta be done. You gotta be done. Yeah. But, but then I just call people like you and I make you talk to me about it. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Going on 21 years of marriage this year. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, I think I won the battle finally, you know, there used to be a lot of give and take, but I think I won the battle where she doesn't, you know, she gets aggravated that I hunt a lot sometimes, and but <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's it, fun. Win some, you lose some. Right? Yep. <laughs> so, well, man, thank you so much for coming on the show again. I think folks learned a lot. If they want to see uh, maybe some of your updates, hopefully they're not looking too close. Hopefully they're not from Wisconsin and start recognizing some of the spots. But uh, if they want to see updates from you, keep up with your hunting season this year. Where can they find you? Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Brian Dombrowski, uh, D-O-M-B-R-O-W-S-K-I. Um, that's, that's, I, I post a lot of stuff. I've been posting a lot of, uh, um, reference pictures, I guess, of, uh, you know, the growth of 
the deer this year. So that's kind of neat to see how fast they're growing throughout the throughout the season. So, but that's that's primarily where they can reach me at. Awesome. Well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Brian, thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, buddy. Anytime. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcast. If you could leave us a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show and help me bring you great content each and every week. If you're looking for more outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you're going to find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts.